0: With me for a moment. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. We're going to the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter number four, Luke chapter four, and we're going to pick up at verse number 13. Many of you are familiar with this particular portion of Scripture, and let me remind you that the events that we're about to read here happened immediately after uh, Jesus came out of the wilderness having been, having been tempted of the devil for 40 days. We read this, Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, listen to this, he departed from him, Jesus, until an opportune time. I, I do hope that you realize that there will never be a moment when the devil will cease from attacking you. There are only moments where he withdraws, Waiting for a more opportune time. He is always looking for an angle. He is always looking for an opportunity. You need to be aware of that. That's why Peter said that we are to be sober, that we are to be vigilant for our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So, right now, everything might be well, but get ready. The battle's coming. Turn to your neighbor and tell them the battle is coming. Okay. The Bible says then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and news of Him went out through all the surrounding region and He taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up and as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and He stood up to read and He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This would be Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Or to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. That's what it means. Inasmuch as God in His wisdom, inasmuch as God in His mercy and grace has bestowed upon us another year, I believe we can say today that 2018 is the acceptable year of the Lord. That it is the year of the favor of our God And I believe with all of my heart that God is looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal toward him. I believe I can say today with great assurity that God wants to show himself strong on your behalf. That God wants to do great things in your heart and in your life in 2018. The only question is, are we willing to let God move in such a powerful way? I think that all of us would say we want to see God work in our lives in a powerful way, but are you willing to put yourself in a position for God to use you powerfully in 2018? With that in mind, I'd like to share with you this morning a very simple message entitled 2018, A Repeat or a Renewal. And Father, I would just ask that over these next few moments you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I am here to deliver a message that you've laid upon my heart but only you can instruct the hearts of your people today and so i just pray lord that by your holy spirit you would find every hungry heart in this house because i have been in this a long time i know that not everyone that's here today is hungry but there is a remnant here today that is hungry that are tired of status quo living that want to see so much more and i pray that you would visit them today With this word and that you would Quicken their faith and that Lord They would step out to see You do great things in their life In this coming year I pray Lord that you would receive all the Glory and all the honor for we ask it In your mighty name and everyone said Amen Amen. and amen give the Lord Praise in this house one more time God is good Amen and before you're seated Turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him In Jesus name Now listen, I am not a Hebrew scholar, but as I understand it, the Hebrew word for year comes from another root word that is in the Hebrew that actually has two different meanings. Which means that within the word year... There are shades of two different meanings. The first meaning of this root word carries the idea of repeating, of duplicating, um, of doing it again and again. It's the idea of whatever it is that you have done, you're going to continue to do it. You're going to repeat it. You're going to duplicate it. That's the first meaning. And in so many ways, that is really indicative of every year. Every year really is a repeat of the year before. Have you ever really sat down and considered all of the repetition that you find from year to year? I mean, we know that we've got another couple of months of winter. Prayerfully, it is going to give way to spring. Spring will be with us for about a couple of days in New Jersey, and then we will be at 110 with humidity, okay? It will make way into summer, and then summer gives way to fall, and fall just ushers us right back into the cold again. It's just repetition. We know that there will be in each year 365 sunrises that will be followed by 365 sunsets. Over the span of 52 weeks Within those days babies will be born Children will go to school for the very first time Some students will graduate from high school Some students will graduate from college or university Some will secure employment Some will get married Some will have children Some will save Some will retire And some will inevitably pass away All of us will have a birthday again this year. There is no escaping that dreadful day. I guess it's dreadful once you get to 40, okay? And then after that, it's all downhill, right? Okay, just kidding. Life didn't really begin until I hit 40, amen? Uh, But we all have it. The, The day may change, but the date remains the same, and it's coming after you. And even though there will be some unexpected twists and turns every single year, this is the frightening part. For the most part, we could all sit down with one another and we could accurately tell each other what we are going to do throughout the course of this year, every day, every week, every weekend, and every month. I mean, if you really stop to think about it, I mean, obviously there are things that we cannot account for. There are things that come out of nowhere. We get that. But let's be honest. Most of us know what we're going to do tomorrow morning when we get up. Most of us know what we're going to do tomorrow. We know when we're going to come back. Some of you already know what you're going to have for dinner. Some of you know what time you're going to go to bed. I mean, we know basically what we're going to do let's be honest many of you already know where you're going to be flipping burgers on july the 4th many of you already know where you're going to be celebrating thanksgiving this year you already know where you're going to be opening presents on christmas morning our lives are just that predictable many of us you know exactly when you're going to go on vacation and where you're going to go on vacation because you have been going to that same destination at the same time for the last three years The last 30 years, we just are that predictable. I can stand before you today and I can tell you for the most part where I am going to be every Friday. I'm going to be having breakfast with my bride and then on my target run. That is my Friday. I mean, we just have that much repetition built within our lives. There's a great deal of repetitiveness in every single year, more than we would probably care to admit. In fact, it was this vicious repetition of day-to-day living that brought Solomon to this sobering conclusion that is recorded for us in the book that we know of as Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and beginning with verse number 2, he says, Vanity of vanities. The word vanity there means empty. It means worthless. It just means that it's empty or devoid of any kind of meaning. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? He says, really, when you stop and think about it, what do we have as a profit for all of our labor under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down. And it hastens to the place where it rose the day before. The wind goes toward the south and then turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. The wind just keeps going south to north, south to north. It just keeps moving all the time. Rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, they there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been done in ancient times before us. Wow. What a bleak outlook on life. I mean, that is a depressing book. Listen, if you're ever going through a season of depression, do not read Ecclesiastes. It's not a great boost, okay? It is not. I mean, that's what he says. He says, listen, there's nothing new under the sun. He says, we all look at things and say, wow, that's new. And all it is, it's recycled. It's recycled. Because at some point in ancient days, that was practiced. Yeah, it may be improved, it may be built upon, but basically they've just been building upon a concept that's been with us for thousands and thousands of years. He says there's really nothing new under the sun. It's just recycling. And if you've lived on this planet for 30 years or more, you've lived here long enough to see how things cycle through. Just look at fashion. In the 60s, men wore slim suits and thin ties. Welcome to 2018. Slim suits, narrow ties. I can't be the only guy that wishes that they had kept every tie they bought at Chess King in the 80s. I mean, come on. Anybody remember Chess King? Okay. I can't be the only one. And ladies, you're probably more sensitive to it than, than I am. I mean, if you're like my wife and you grew up in the 70s and the 80s, you wish you'd held on to some of that clothes because today they say, wow, look at the new fashions and all it is is recycled 80s and 70s. Long live disco. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it is. It just recycles. It just keeps going back and back again and again. It'll take a break, but it eventually makes its way back to us. This portion of Scripture, many of you know, was written by King Solomon. And King Solomon, uh, as many of you know, fell desperately away from the Lord. And after years of rebelling against God and chasing everything that life had to offer, not denying himself of anything or anyone, Solomon came crashing back to reality and said, having experienced it all, that life is vanity, that it is empty, that it is futile, and that there is nothing new under the sun. Many of you know that that phrase, under the sun, was repeated 30 times in this one poem. And it's a phrase that was coined by Solomon to actually describe life without God or life without a relationship with our Creator. He's actually looking at life through the lens of an unbeliever. He says, listen, after years of walking away from God, after years of not withholding from my life, anything that I thought would please me, that would gratify me, I have come to recognize that life without God is meaningless. That it is just a vicious repetition, that there is nothing new under the sun, that it is just a cycle of meaningless repetition. And so it is that within that word year is a shade of repetitiveness. However, interestingly enough, there is a second meaning to this root word because it can also be used to speak of change or to be different, or even to alter. In fact, in one portion of Scripture, this word is used to describe the day when David disguised himself so that he could escape his enemies. That's the idea in this word. So even within the word year, there is a shade of change. And this is why so many make New Year's resolutions. Because throughout the course of the year, they have learned that there are some things that need to change as they move forward. There are some things that they need to address in their life, and they see the new year as an opportunity to start over again, to change, to be different, and to alter their life, to make some alteration to the way that they live. And even if you're like me, and you do not practice New Year's resolutions, I don't know of a time I ever made New Year's resolutions. But even if you're like me, the reality is it's built into our DNA for some reason to see the new year as an opportunity to begin all over again. We just say that. I mean, how many of us towards the end of the year will say, well, you know what, it's too late to change right now. Why don't we just wait till the new year? Even in the business world, when there's changes that have to be made, we'll say, you know what? It's too close to the end of the year. Why don't we just go with it for right now, but when we get to January, we'll start again. There are many people that at the end of the year will say, wow, that was a rough year. I pray that next year will be so much better. There is something about the new year that kind of gives us this idea that we can start over again, that we can reset, that we can make changes, that we can be different, that we can make all Alterations within our heart and within our life. And when I thought about that, Recognizing that true transformation Isn't possible apart from Jesus Christ And the inner working of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer My mind immediately went To 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 Where it says therefore if anyone Is in Christ he is a New creation old things Have passed away behold all Things have become new how many of you are glad That in Christ The son of the living God you are A new creation that the old has passed away and that everything can become brand new in Jesus' name. So isn't it interesting that within the word year, there are the two directions that we can go in every year. That within that word year, we actually see summed up the two directions that we can go in through any year. And that is the direction of repeating the same things, or of being renewed and being transformed by the power of God. In fact, the way I see it, we can either live each year under the sun, or we can live each year in the sun. We can either live out this year under the sun, or we can live out this year in the sun, Jesus Christ. Now to live your life under the sun is to viciously find yourself in the same place as last year, fighting the same battles, praying the exact same prayers, struggling with the exact same issues, and as Solomon said, laboring to change in your own strength and in your own willpower, but for all of your labor, finding absolutely nothing, until the point where you become so frustrated that like Him you just say, it's useless, worthless, why am I even trying? I know that it will all come to nothing anyway. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because every year at December 31st, you say, This year is gonna be different. I'm gonna make some changes, I'm gonna change my attitude, I'm gonna change my outlook, I'm gonna go hard after the things of God, I'm gonna make a difference in my marriage and in my family. But then a year later, you're at the same place that you were the year before and the year before that, and the year before that. Some of you are growing weary of praying because it seems like you're praying for the same things year after year with no change at all and you feel like giving up. But can I tell you this morning that there is a better way of living. And that is that rather than living life under the sun you can live your life in the sun, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And in Him it is the acceptable year. It is a year 2018. It is a year that he is made and today god can change and transform your life in jesus mighty name can somebody give god the praise 2000 years ago jesus came in the power of the holy spirit to preach to the spiritual bankruptcy of man that has no power that has no resources that has no strength to break themselves free from the shackles of sin. And he came to heal the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And this is the year, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And I can stand here today on the authority of God's Word and say that if any man, if any woman, if any student be in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away and everything has become brand new. This does not have to be a year of repeating. It can be a year of renewal where once and for all you break free from that which has held you back and be all that God has called you to be in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody give God the praise if you believe that this morning? This is why we are committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in this church. This is why we are committed to allowing the Holy Spirit to move among us the way that He wants to. Because we believe that Jesus is still alive and well. And that He is still pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. He has come to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe in 2018, you have lost your joy. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus can heal your broken heart and give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's come to liberate the captives. Maybe as you enter into 2018, you've lost your freedom. But he who the sun sets free is free indeed. He came to recover the sight of those who are blind. Maybe some of you have been so badly damaged that you've lost vision for the future. You can be so broken that you have no vision for your family. No vision for your marriage. No vision for your future. No vision for your walk with God. But I'm going to tell you there's a healer that not only heals the physical eyes, but can open up your spiritual eyes and see all that God has for you and your family and your life. In Jesus' mighty name. He came to liberate those who were oppressed by the devil. I'm going to tell you, maybe Jenner, you enter into 2018, you've been so badly scarred by life that you have no hope. But I want you to know we have an anchor for our soul. His name is Jesus Christ. He gives us a hope that the world did not give us and cannot take us away. Jesus is the answer. And He is here today to touch your life in Jesus' name. Come on, give Him praise again if you believe that. Amen and amen. And <laughs> now... Hold on, because that doesn't mean that some of the things you're facing right now are going to change and pass away this year. God says, I'm going to change you. It doesn't mean that your circumstances are going to change immediately. Some of you go into 2018 with some challenges and those challenges aren't going to go away anytime soon. And and I think that a lot of times in the church we... We stress that if you have enough faith, all of your circumstances will change and all you'll ever grow in your garden are roses and everything will be, you know, the way you want it to be. But that is not the case. doesn't mean that some of the things you're facing right now are going to pass away, but what it does mean is that your approach in handling those things will it does mean that your attitude in facing them will change. And what you might be surprised to find out is that when your attitude changes and your approach changes, that it may bring about the changes you're looking in every other situation in your life, in Jesus' name. Can we just be transparent this morning? Let's just be honest. Many of the changes we long for, many of the changes we are looking for, begin with changes that need to occur within our own lives. Some of you have been praying for God to change somebody else and God says, nah, I think we'll start with you. I think we'll start with your attitude. I think we're going to start with your outlook. We're going to start looking at your devotional life. The changes that we look for all too often begin with changes within our own heart and within our own life. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? In Matthew chapter 7, he says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the plank in your own eye. You're wasting all of your energy on a sawdust that's in his eye when you've got this two by four out of your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. You think I'm tough. Jesus says, you are a hypocrite if you spend all of your time looking at the speck of dust in everyone else's eye and refuse to look at the plank in your own eye. He says, you're a hypocrite when you spend all of your time trying to get the speck of dust out of your husband's eye and you won't take the plank out of your own eye. When you try to take the speck of dust out of your wife's eye And you refuse to deal with the plank in your own eye. Jesus says first, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says the first thing that needs to happen is change within your life. And once change begins in your life, you will find that it's much easier to get through the other struggles you're dealing with. I mean, that is clearly what he is saying. He's saying that our problem is always worse than the other person's problem. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell them your problem is greater than the other guy's. Okay? just (laughs) I know you don't want to hear that because it's always somebody else's fault, but the Bible makes it very clear that our problem is the greater problem and that God needs to deal with us and change us first before any change can occur. I want to show you something here very quickly. If you have your Bible still open, I want you to go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And I, want to, I just want to show you a couple of things here and, and then we're just going to have everybody come down and we're going to pray here this morning. I just have felt in my heart that we just needed to agree together for change in 2018. But I want to show you something here in John 5. In John chapter 5, we are introduced to a man who had been severely afflicted for 38 years. It's an unnamed uh, affliction. Uh, Evidently, it has something to do with his legs, but he's not crippled. It doesn't seem that way, at least. It's not named for us, but for 38 years, he has been severely, severely afflicted. And listen to what it says in verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, which means mercy, by the way. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, I don't have time to go into this. I wish I did, but I don't. That would be more on a Wednesday night. But you need to understand that everything you just read right there is pure uh, It's pure superstition. Uh, in fact, some of your versions may actually have that in italics because it doesn't appear in all of the most reliable manuscripts. There is absolutely no evidence that there was a pool that an angel stirred and the first one that got in was healed. There's no evidence of that at all. One of two things has happened. Either this was added by a scribe at some point because they heard of a legend that emerged from that time, or it is possible that Luke is actually recording for us a legend that was taking place at that time. This was not God, this was, this was not some miraculous icon or or locale, no, nothing like that at all. Okay, You need to understand to keep that straight. And again, I don't have time to go into why, but if you want to go home and study it, there's plenty of information out there, but it it's just a superstition, a legend. And some of you, you know, you might be thinking, well, how can that happen? Well, you don't have to go that far to figure out how that happens because every one of us have been in a situation where we told someone something that happened to us, and by the time it got around to about a half a dozen people, the story got embellished on. How many have ever had that happen? And probably, there's no way to prove this, but probably what happened is one day a man or a woman with some back aches or a muscle spasm was walking by this spring and it was bubbling up and they thought you know what i'm in so much agony maybe if i lay in this spring and i just have the bubbles there maybe that will relieve some of the pain that i have and he went and laid in it and an hour later he got up and said wow i'm feeling great and went to somebody and said you know what i was over there and my pain went away and before long there was an angel that was stirring up the water and if you were the first one in you were going to be healed And that superstition just grew over time and over time until we have a scene here where there are multitudes of sick, afflicted, blind, paralyzed men and women that have gathered around this pool hoping that they could be the first ones in and be healed of their ailments. And if there was any healing that occurred in this pool, it was usually by just what I talked about a moment ago. Somebody in just some minor pain that laid in that pool. But there was no healing properties at all in it. What started out as just folklore and superstition had now become a cruel joke promising what it could not deliver to the multitudes. The Bible goes on in verse 5 and says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years When jesus saw him lying there and knew listen to this that he already had been in that condition a long time Jesus said to him. Do you want to be made? Well Now i'm going to tell you On the surface that seems like a ridiculous question to ask Because the answer seems so obvious doesn't it? You know, he could easily say, well, why do you think I'm here? I'm here because I want to be made well. I mean, I've been afflicted for 38 years. Of course I want to be well. But you know, you could also say this, if he really wanted to be healed, why didn't he have somebody take him to Jesus? Why was he hanging around a superstition? Just a thought. But let's just assume that he really did want to be healed. Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? An interesting question. And we'd ask, why would he ask that? Well, the reason is... Because he'd already known that this man had been afflicted for so long. He'd already been afflicted for 38 years. And Jesus knew what many of us know today. And that is, as grievous as your pain may become, it is possible to become comfortable with your calamity. That you can actually become at ease with your infirmity. For 38 years, this man had suffered with the affliction. And even though he may want have to been freed from this, maybe also he enjoyed the attention that he got. Maybe he loved being critical about how no one could throw him into the water before he could... So that he could get his healing and someone always beat him to the punch Maybe he had a critical spirit Maybe he had learned how to live within his pain to the point where he really didn't want to be healed Maybe it was just fashionable to say I want to be healed But he recognized that a healing would mean that his life would drastically be altered And I've been pastoring a long time folks and I'm going to tell you that not everyone who says they want to be free really wants to be free. Not everyone who wants says they want to be healed wants to be healed. Not everyone who says I want to stop being critical wants to stop being critical. Not everyone who says I don't want to be addicted anymore wants to not be addicted anymore. The reality is we can be in our pain for so long that we are comfortable there. And we know that if God were to actually set us free that that would mean a total revolution of my life. That I would be able to go where I used to go I wouldn't be able to hang with the people I used to hang with that I wouldn't be able to say some of the things that I used to say yeah it's fashionable to come into church and say I don't want to be critical anymore I don't want to be bitter anymore I want to grow in Christ this year because that's what you're expected to say when you come into the house of God but why is it that we keep doing it year after year it's because we become comfortable with the chains that are upon us and so with that in mind I ask you do you want to be made well do you really want to be well? Do you really want God to set you free so that your life can be radically transformed and that you can be the man or the woman that God has called you to be? Are you comfortable with your chains that bind you? So Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, Sir, listen to this. I have no man to put me into the pool. In other words, he was hanging all of his healing upon a human. There's no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, I love this, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, think about that, immediately. One translation says instantly. The man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Think about this. For 38 years, this man was severely afflicted with this disease. And every day since he heard this superstition, he laid himself by the pool hoping that he would be the first one in or that someone would push him in and that he would be cured. But then one day, in an acceptable year, Jesus came to him and asked, Do you want to be made well? And the man says, I have no man to put me in. And again, the idea is, I need someone to actually aid in my in my healing, in my deliverance. And there's some of you today that you do not believe deliverance is possible without the intervention of a man. But Jesus says to him, rise up, take your bed, and walk. And immediately he was healed. I don't know much. I've never been to seminary. I don't have a doctorate. I don't have a master. But I will tell you this. I know the master. I know the healer. And I know that one touch from the master's hand can set you free immediately from decades of bondage and strife and pain. Is there anyone in this house that knows what I'm talking about? God can set you free in a moment from years of pain, from years of depression. Our God is able. Come on, give Him praise if you believe that He's able. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And i got to tell you, I believe that there are many that are gathered by the pool of January 1st and they believe that the superstition is true that through a resolution they can be free from what ails them or what shackles them or they are looking to a man or a woman to push them into freedom and in deliverance. They think to themselves I could be a better husband if she would be a better wife. I could be a better wife if he could be a better husband. I think I could be a better employee if he would be better employer I think that I could be a better Christian if he'd be a better pastor I think I'd be better if I had a better deacon or a better uh, a, a better elder we always are putting the blame on someone else as if anybody else could cure you and heal you I don't know about pastors and deacons and elders and I don't know about employees and wives and everyone else but I know this that one touch from Jesus Christ can change your life you don't need a New Year's resolution. You need the power from on high in Jesus' mighty name. Can you give Him praise today? Come on, do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? i got to be honest, folks, all this week I've just been thinking about the necessity of a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit so that we would be empowered to live the life that God has called us to live. In Acts 10 and verse 38 we are told how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power who went about doing good and healing Woo, come on. And healing... All who were oppressed by the devil For God was with him And God is with us today In Second Corinthians 3 he says Nevertheless when one turns to the Lord The veil is taken away Now the Lord is the spirit And where the spirit of the Lord is There is liberty Folks I'm going to tell you today I'm praying that through a very simple message The veil on our eyes Would be taken off and we would realize That where the spirit is There is liberty and he The sun sets free is free indeed in Jesus' name. And then again in 2 Corinthians 3 it says Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant Not of the letter but of the spirit For the letter kills but the spirit gives life Listen I love preaching I love studying the word of God And I love getting up every Sunday And ministering the word of the Lord to you But I know that the word of God will fall short If it's not quickened by the Holy Spirit Of the living God in your life It is a spirit that gives it life Gives it Flesh gives it blood So that you can live it out in Jesus name And his spirit is here today You don't have to live a moment more Repeating the sins of the past But you can be delivered in Jesus mighty name Come on somebody Give God the praise If you believe that this morning Hallelujah Now watch this I'm going to ask the band to come Watch this John 5 and verse 14 Later Jesus found him in the temple This is the man that he healed Listen to what he said to him See You have been made well Sin No more Lest a worse thing come upon you Did you hear that? Sin no more Lest a worse thing come upon you Jesus said Sir I have done what only I can do I have healed you of your infirmity for 38 years I've set you free but that does not absolve you from any responsibility he's saying now I want you to go and maintain your freedom by sinning no more He says, because if you do, you're going to open up the door for maybe even something worse than what's afflicted you for 38 years. Now listen, folks. Only Jesus can set the captive free. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can set you free. And you know, people, listen, people come off drugs every day without Christ. People change their attitude without Christ. But the problem is, is that you're just going to replace it with something else. That's, you just You're going to be mastered by something or someone. But if you're actually going to be free indeed, free completely, you can't do it apart from Jesus and apart from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But here's what I want you to realize. The Lord frees us in a moment, but it is our responsibility to maintain that freedom through... The Holy Spirit who set us free in the first place. How do we do that? You're going to have to come to church next Sunday morning. Because that's what we're going to talk about next week. All right. But right now, I'd love for you to stand to your feet here this morning. I would love for you to stretch your hand out towards the Master. Can you do that? And just say, I don't know where you are today, but just say, Lord, please make me well. I don't know. Some of you may be struggling emotionally. Some of you may be struggling mentally, physically, spiritually. I don't know what it is, but I know who the answer is. It's Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, You don't have to carry that any longer in Jesus' name. Can can we just praise Him for a moment and just ask Him for a touch of heaven in Jesus' mighty name.